He is risen. He's risen indeed. What a great day it is today. Amen. Welcome again to Riverside Calvary Chapel. So good to have you here with us today as we just get to come and celebrate our risen Savior. And, and this is an important day, no doubt about it, as we take this day to really reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. But every day for the believer is a day to rejoice. Amen. Are you with me? Because of the life that we have in Jesus. And that's what we want to talk a bit about here this morning before we come back and just kind of sing a few more songs here in closing. But it's a special time of year, no doubt, as we gather together, as we celebrate the risen Savior, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has defeated sin and death, that he has secured life for us, not just life now, but life eternal. And as we've been going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, we've been seeing just this this wonderful invitation being given here to not just know about Jesus, but to really come and experience this life in Jesus. In fact, some of the first words that Jesus recorded in John's Gospel are those words, come and see. Jesus inviting disciples that were asking him, inquiring about him. Jesus simply saying, come and see. Not just go and do, go and follow, but come and see what this is all about. Not just come and see, but come and experience. Come and enjoy. Come and live in this life that Jesus has given to us now, free of charge because of the work he's done. Come and see, in fact, the words that the angel gave to the people as they came to the tomb as we saw it enacted in our drama that began the service here. The angel in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 20, said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. And the angel says, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Even there at the tomb, the angel is saying, Come and see, come and experience for yourself with your own eyes. See that Jesus is risen again. And now experience this life. You see, we often hear the story, no doubt. We've heard the facts. We've heard the story about Easter and Jesus and the empty tomb. These are all things that I'm sure we've known, we've heard. But do we ever stop and just contemplate these events to us personally? What does this, what does this mean to me for today? Do you ever just in retrospection see what this empty tomb, a risen Savior, really means for us today? Because this invitation, you see, has been given for us to come and see and experience and know what this life is all about. And and to know that there's indeed life and life abundantly in Jesus. Because without him, here's the fact, there's no life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And not only did he come to give up, he rose again, defeating sin and death to show and secure for us that life is found in him. And so I want to talk today about this invitation that's been given. But also, look at just kind of our our response. How do we, what does that mean to us? Just kind of to rethink the resurrection here today. And to rethink in a way to say, what does this mean for me today? How am I living? How am I, how am I enjoying the fact of the resurrection today in my life personally? Now, you know, one thing that I think oftentimes clouds out the reality of the resurrection for us today, it's life, life. And that's the craziest thing because you see the resurrection promises 
life, the resurrected life. But then you see what happens oftentimes as we're going through life, we get run down, we get discouraged. We may face trials or difficulties or, or just unfortunate circumstances. And it can tend to rob us of the blessing of this life. And it amazes me even that as Jesus was walking here on this earth and spending time with his disciples, that as much as Jesus spoke about his coming death and his resurrection, it seemed that it, the very people that were the closest to him, his disciples, didn't perceive or understand or comprehend what Jesus was saying about the work that he would come and do. In fact, turn in your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to have you turn a couple places. Turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 30, but then also... Make your way over to John chapter 16 and in verse 16 and, and hold your place in John 16, verse 16. That's where we're going to be kind of camped out more so today in that passage. But then just open up to Mark chapter 9. In Mark 9, verse 30. It says that they had departed from there and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. See, when Jesus was crucified and his disciples had witnessed his death and burial, they thought, that's it. It's over. Been a good ride while it lasted, but it seems like all good things must come to an end now. And they just kind of thought, that's it. They were at a loss to explain what had just happened. Even though Jesus had looked to prepare them and, and share with them that he would come and he would die and rise again. Every time he said it, they just kind of tuned it out because that, that didn't fit what they thought this Jesus, this Messiah, this, this Lord, the Son of God would really be. I think that doesn't, that doesn't line up with our theology here. That doesn't line up with what we're expecting and so they were at a loss when these things unfolded. And I can just imagine there's times where we feel like that. Where things start to kind of unravel in a way that we didn't expect or we didn't hope or we didn't plan for. And we think, God, where are you in all this? And there might be times in your life where you begin to get to that point where you go, well, it's been good while it lasted. But it seems like everything's kind of caving in right now. Might as well just give up, just do my own thing. There's times where we grapple with those kinds of questions. It was kind of like what many of the disciples, I'm sure, were thinking on that day or those days unfolding after the crucifixion. Some of them had, had returned back to fishing up in Galilee. thought, well, let's go back to our, our old life, I guess. Jesus is gone. He's left us. But here's the thing. We may not always have all the answers to life, but the resurrection provides for us the proper response in those times. And it's one of hope and joy. That's what I want you to see here today. That though we might have questions and though there might be things that are unfolding, happening in a way that we didn't expect, the resurrection provides a response for us in the midst of those times. And it's one that we can have of hope and joy in Jesus. Look at what Jesus said to his disciples here in John's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 16. Because here he is sitting now with his disciples the night before he would be crucified. The disciples are still kind of in a state of disbelief over all the things that are unfolding and the things that Jesus is even saying. And they're thinking, this, this can't be Jesus. This doesn't line up here. 
And in this conversation, Jesus seeks to assure and comfort his disciples of what the outcome ultimately would be through his death. Look at what we read here in verse 16 of John 16. A little while, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And, and because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. I love this. Because here Jesus is seeking to, to lay out for them that he's going to be taken away from them for a time, a short time. And in that, Jesus is speaking about his death, right? A little while and you won't see me. Speaking of his death. But then he says, again, a little while and you will see me. So this is speaking now, not only just of his death, but now he's referring to his resurrection. A little while, you will not see me. But then, again, a little while, you will see me. See, Jesus is looking to brace his disciples. But notice, as I've been kind of setting this up here with our response, the disciples had a difficult time receiving and understanding what Jesus was saying. They envisioned the whole way of the Messiah going down very differently than what it was shaping up to be. And they're all probably looking at each other with these puzzled look on their faces. They're afraid to ask Jesus, what do you really mean? And so they're all thinking to themselves, what is he talking about? What is he saying? This stuff doesn't make sense to us. We can relate to that at times, can't we? Where we're looking at, at what's going on in life and we can feel, this doesn't make sense to us. Why are things going this way? But look at it as we read on here in verse 19. Jesus says, or Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And here's what I want to emphasize for us here today. That their sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Yeah, Jesus says, listen, you're going to go through a time of of weeping and lament and, and sorrow. There's going to be difficult days ahead for you as you kind of grapple with the, the magnitude of what's gone on there in Jerusalem with Christ being crucified, laid to rest in a tomb. There'll be times of, uh, of sorrow and, 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 and weeping. There's going to be anxious moments thinking that that's the last time that you might see him. And yet, Jesus says, the world's going to be rejoicing. Thinking that they've kind of overcome this one that has exposed their insufficiency to save themselves. Where he's kind of been that voice of conviction speaking into their lives to say, listen, it's not about by what you do, but it's about faith in me, the son of God. Believing in Jesus that, that he can be saved. And so they're hearing these things and they're not liking how Jesus is coming across. And so they're wanting to silence that. There's going to be rejoicing by the world, but the disciples, those that love Jesus going to be weeping and mourning but as heavy and tragic as those difficult days were it's all going to be flipped around as jesus emerges from the tomb jesus says just a short while and your heart's going to rejoice again your sorrow's going to be turned into joy and he gives an illustration of it 
Look at this in John 16, verse 21. He says, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Now, as far as I can tell, birth is no picnic. Ladies, I'm sure you would shout out an amen to that, right? I'm not an expert here, but I've been privy to being there on the scene at a few of these. And you see, when that labor kicks in, it's like opening the floodgates of pain or rage or sorrow. Doctors are getting kicked in the face. Very sane ladies are starting to reenact scenes from the exorcist. Like it just goes to pot, just goes a complete mess. It's, it's a difficult thing. We understand that, right? And there's sometimes agony in that. It's not pleasant, but guess what? As Jesus says here, it's for a moment and all the sorrow and anguish turns into joy because now there's new life. New life is, has come forth. It's amazing how quick all that pain and agony is forgotten. I remember having our first child sitting in the hospital room, holding this child and my wife just looks at me. She's like, you did this to me. I'll never forgive you for that. No, she didn't say that, but we're sitting there and she, I remember her saying, I don't know if I can do this again. That was rough. It was tough. And she was just referring to me crying and weeping on the floor. But she says, I don't know if I can do this again. It was hard. And guess what? Three more children later. What happened? You begin to forget about the pain and the agony as you begin to see that, man, life has emerged. There's blessing that's come out of the sorrow and agony. There's something great that has come. And Jesus uses this illustration to show that, oh yeah, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But in three days, I'm going to rise again. And all of your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. Why? Because now you're going to realize and, and testify of the life that I've come to give you. It's not just life temporarily. It's life eternal because Jesus has conquered death and the grave. And he's risen again. And he says, I want you to know that life. And I want all your sorrow, all your questions to be answered in the response of the resurrection that in him there's life. There's hope for us today. I'm reminded of what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. It says there that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Was the cross joy? No. But it was what was being set forth through the cross. That sin was being taken care of. Jesus would be paying the penalty for our sin, so that we could be forgiven, set free from it, and brought into a right standing with God. Jesus knew there'd be a resurrection that would take place and ensure life for us. 
It was for the joy that was set before him. He was able to endure the cross. And so Jesus tells his disciples here in John's gospel that there may be a time of temporary sorrow. There may be a time where you're questioning, wondering, how is this all coming together? But he says, you're, you again, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And that's the key here in John's gospel in this passage here. And he says, your joy at the end of verse 22, your joy, no one will take from you. Do you see that? If you have a Bible, but just look at that. The end of verse 22 and your joy no one will take from you. Now, Jesus is promising here for us because of his resurrection, because of his life, because he will see them again. He's promising us lasting joy. Lasting joy. Joy that can't be stripped from you, taken away from you. Joy that's not dependent upon your circumstances or your situation. It's joy that is lasting because it is founded in Jesus. That's a pretty big promise and guarantee that he gives. So it gives us a couple answers why that joy is lasting here. We know that our joy is lasting because our joy is wrapped up in Jesus, as I said. And, and because of the resurrection, we know that Jesus will never die again and that we will never be cut off from him anymore. He's alive today, sitting at the right hand, interceding for us, preparing a place for us, John 14 tells us, that where he is, we may be also. He's going to come again. And so our joy is based in him, and he's alive forevermore. Never to be cut off from him again. That's why that joy lasts, can't be cut off. Only in Jesus we find lasting joy. You know, we've been going through, on our Wednesday nights, doing our overview of the Bible, taking a book a night, and just kind of giving a, an overview of the theme and, and, and uh topics in the book and and so lately we've been in in solomon's writings and last couple of weeks we've gone through you know proverbs and ecclesiastes well i love the book of ecclesiastes because here's solomon now as he's writing ecclesiastes in the latter part of his life where he's kind of forsaken all this great wisdom that he's had that's comes out in proverbs he's given up all that wisdom he's kind of turned away from god to start to live life in the world according to the world he says under the sun, which means in the world and apart from God. And here's the thing. Solomon said, there, were not, there was not any pleasure that I didn't deny myself. Solomon wanted to see what life was like in the world. And do you know what his conclusion is in the book of Ecclesiastes? As he experimented with all the things that life can give you. All the things that, that you could find pleasure in. Solomon experimented with them all. And he says, listen, it's all vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. Those are the words of Solomon. And so Solomon gives us all. He does us all a wonderful and huge favor. Because a lot of us sit here and we go, well, if I could just have this. Or if I could just upgrade that. If I could just achieve here. Or have that promotion at work. Or a bigger yard in my house. If I could just have those things, then I'll really be happy. Then I'll really be content and find joy. But Solomon says, I've been there, I've done all that, I've experimented with all that this life can throw at me, and I have come to the conclusion that everything is meaningless and empty. It's empty apart from Jesus. You see, it's only in Jesus that you are going to find lasting joy, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's in him that we find life. So, Jesus lays out, listen, I'm going to see you again, because I'm going to defeat death i'm going to come back from the grave you will see me again 
and your heart will rejoice. You'll find joy. But this passage also shares with us, secondly, because your joy comes from being with Jesus and in Jesus, then, see, it's not just enough for Jesus to be able to live forever. Here's the thing. You, too, must live forever. If that joy is going to be lasting and nobody takes it from you, well, it's not just enough for Jesus to live forever. You, too, need to live forever. And that's what Jesus has accomplished and secured for us through the resurrection. It's a great promise and hope we have because he rose again. See, two things have to be true if your joy is never going to be taken from you. One is that the source of your joy lasts forever and the other is that you last forever. Forever. If, if either you or the source of your joy is mortal, then your joy can be taken from you. I think that's one thing that Job was hinting at here. In the midst of his great trial and struggle and pain of life that he was enduring, here's what Job wrote. Let me read these words to you. It says in Job 19, starting verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Now it might be a stretch to say that Job had joy in the midst of his suffering, but it doesn't need to be a stretch for us to look to Jesus now and know that in whatever we might be going through in life, he's already conquered All of our difficulties, all of our problems, all of our hardships. And he's given us life in him, eternal life. So no matter what you go through today, we can have joy in Jesus. Because he's the very source of that joy. And he secured life for us that we might endure or enjoy that joy forever and ever. Now, all of this is dependent on one thing. See, this is assured now for only one group of people. For those that want to see Jesus. Those that want to be with Jesus. Jesus said in our text here, verse 22, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. See, if your heart doesn't rejoice at the thought of seeing and being with Jesus, then this is not a promise for you. But this becomes an invitation to you to come and see. To come and know the life That Jesus has given to you. Free of charge. The the whole gospel of John is being written. That we might believe or put our trust in Jesus. To know that he's the son of God. He's the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing in his name, you might have life. So the whole gospel of John is being written. And Jesus lays it out for his disciples. And for us today. To invite us in. If you're here today. And you're in a relationship with Jesus. Great. I'm excited for that. But has Easter just become. Another holiday. A time we quickly just reflect on. The empty tomb. What does it mean for you today personally? Are you walking in the joy. Of Jesus today? Are you knowing the life. That he's given you and secured for you. But today if you're here and you. Haven't come and. Experienced that life. If you haven't. Had that joy in Jesus or your life is not in Jesus. Then your joy is unstable. 
Your joy can be taken from you. Jesus is the only permanent joy. So today's an opportunity for you. I'm going to invite the choir and the worship team to come back up to the stage right now. But I want to give you that opportunity here today. To know and experience that life that Jesus has for you. Life that he has secured for you because he died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. But three days later he rose again showing that he's done the work. That the work was accepted. That is validated by the Father in heaven. That by putting your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, you can be set free, forgiven, and brought into newness of life now in and through Jesus. And it's in that newness of life that you begin to know the joy that he has for you. Joy unspeakable and full of glory that doesn't run out. See, this life comes for those that are born again, meaning that you've acknowledged your sin and your guilt before God, and you've turned away from your sin. You put your trust in Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, to be your life. Those that do that, the Bible says you're, you're born again. You're part of God's family now. You're children of God, and there's no greater source of joy than that. We're going to play a song right now, and it's from Psalm 34. There's a verse in that psalm, Psalm 34, 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Have you put your trust in Jesus today? What is it you're living for? Where's your level of joy at today? The Bible is full of those invitations. Come and see. Taste and see. Are you doing just that? Are you experiencing and knowing the life that Jesus has secured for you by rising again from the grave so that you can have your sorrow turned to joy where no one can take that joy from you? Let's be sure that we're walking in that and knowing that. If you're here today and you don't know that joy, all it takes for you is to simply ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to come in and be your Lord and to be your life. May the resurrection of Jesus lead you today, not just to, not just to sing that Christ lives, but rather to sing that Christ lives in me and that he's my life. He gives me joy that can never be taken away. Come and taste and see what a joy he is. Let's pray here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your promise, for the hope that we have because you rose again from the grave. Thank you that you did that, that we might know life and experience that life, not in a future day, but that we might know and experience that life even right now today. That our joy could just increase because it's founded in you, who is alive, who is our life. And the reality is that now we have life in you. Never to be separated again. Never to be apart. So I pray that that joy would just continue to grow and increase. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've been putting it off. And you're looking at this moment saying, the invitation is laid out. Why would I not accept that? If you're here today and you want to. Invite Jesus in to be your Lord and Savior. All you got to do is pray this prayer. You can pray it after me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I'm lost 
apart from you. I've been trying to find joy in this world, but there's nothing to be found. It's found in you. And so, Jesus, I come today and I give you my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Replace that sorrow with your joy. May you live in me now and be my life. I surrender myself to you. And if you prayed that today from your heart, in trust of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, the Bible says you're saved. You're a new creation. A child of God. If you prayed that today for the first time, come and share that with someone after the service. Let them know, whoever brought you or one of the pastors here, let them know. So Lord, we thank you. May we go forth from here now on this Resurrection Sunday rejoicing in who you are and all you've done for us. That our joy might be full. We ask in your name, amen.